from a college student's makeshift recording studio, this is Mind Dump, the podcast where we make sense of my mind's nonsense. I'm your host, Bea, and in this episode, we're talking about crushing the patriarchy. Trigger warning, this episode will touch on abuse and rape. Before I start, just a fair warning that you might hear a couple of bird sounds in the background. For some reason, they're extra loud outside my window today and they won't go away. So please bear with me throughout the episode and just think of it as background noise. Okay, let's start. Iha ako. This hashtag has been making rounds on Twitter and is now transformed into an empowering battle cry for women who have been harassed and abused. But the truth is that the root of the problem is the bigger theme here, which is that rape culture is real. There's a culture that constantly perpetuates um, kind of this this type of over-masculinization where, um, you know, they're, they're constantly kind of pushed to... Um, how do I put this? They're constantly kind of pushed to always talk about their sexuality and to, like, be comfortable in their sexuality, whereas women are shamed for it constantly. That was Frankie Pangilinan, the woman behind the hashtag. Iha ako was her response to broadcaster Ben Tufo's tweet, which read, Quote, Iha, a rapist or a juvenile sex offender's desire to commit a crime will always be there. All they need is an opportunity when to commit the crime. Sexy ladies, careful with the way you dress up. You are inviting the beast. End quote. <laughs> My eyes are literally rolling. Isn't it just disgusting how Ben Dulfo can microaggressively address Frankie as Iha and in the same breath call women sexy ladies? It's absolutely disgusting. But through hashtag Ihaako, a myriad of stories have come out that are reminiscent of the Me Too movement, including remnants of trauma from childhood abuse, screenshots calling out abusers, and angry outbursts that are finally holding big names accountable. We all have the same question here, and it's composed of three words. Why? are men? A good answer is men are trash. (laughs) Well, at this point, I'm disappointed but no longer surprised. I just hate how it's already 2020, yet women are still blamed for being harassed. Women still have to put up with catcalling. Women still have to be careful not to trample on men's egos. Women still have to dress and look a certain way to be respected. All while men still believe that the world revolves around them. Honestly, I'd love to give a whole in-depth historical overview as to how this patriarchal system has perpetuated and condoned rape culture. But this isn't that kind of show, I'm not an expert, and that could easily take up two entire episodes. But just to give a simple explanation as to what the patriarchy is, it's basically the existence of a societal structure that operates at the expense of women. At the expense of women. And who does it benefit? Men. We've long tried to resist this crippling system, but clearly, men still haven't gotten around to pulling their heads out of their butts. Now don't even think of attacking me with that not all men statement. I've heard it before, countless of times. Not all men are abusers. I've never raped anyone. I respect women. Stop being so sexist. Not all men are trash. Not all men. Okay, first of all, This sentiment simply derails the discussion of the reality that women have to face. It's not value-adding at all. Second, 
Duh. We aren't saying that all men are rapists and abusers. If you were dumb enough to believe that we were calling out every single man, then you're just embarrassing yourselves. What we're calling out are the patriarchal ideologies that have long condoned rape culture. Again, duh. And lastly, what are we supposed to do with this information that you've never harassed anyone as a man? Are we supposed to congratulate you for being a decent human being? Oh, here's a sticker, here's a certificate, you didn't rape anyone yet. Don't you realize just how ridiculous that sounds? It's like congratulating someone for breathing. Okay, now that I'm done being angry, don't you even dare call me out for being too emotional. Which brings me back to the topic for today. Because dismissing a woman for being emotional is actually a microaggression that men use way too often to assert their superiority. And that's exactly what I'm going to talk about today. Microaggressions. Gendered microaggressions to be exact. And their greater implications. And how they contribute greatly to how men assert their superiority in this patriarchal society. Which then leads to macroaggressions. Woo! Fun. (laughs) Anyway, okay, before I start, I just want to give a disclaimer that I truly cannot speak for all women. I myself am a woman, but admittedly, I'm still speaking from a place of privilege. As much as I'd love for this podcast to encompass all experiences and to highlight intersectionality as much as possible, one woman like me can only do so much. I'll do my best to touch on issues that go beyond my own bubble, but I just want to clarify that a lot of my examples will be me speaking from my own experiences, which are admittedly very limited. But I hope you understand. Okay, let's talk about microaggressions. A good place to start is defining what microaggressions are. People who engage in microaggressions often aren't overtly misogynistic or sexist or racist or homophobic. In a way, Microaggressions are manifestations of their internalized bigoted views. These internalized thoughts include stereotypes and assumptions that we may not even be aware of. But this makes it all the more dangerous. The reason I really want to discuss microaggressions is because women have the tendency to downplay the trauma that these subtle attacks actually cause. We always say, I'm sure he didn't mean that, or it was an innocent remark, or he must have had good intentions. But... We have to stop this. We have to stop acting as if the microaggressions don't have an effect on us when they truly do. In essence, there are three main categories. First are micro-assaults, then micro-insults, and lastly, micro-invalidations. First of all, there are micro-assaults, which are the more overt type. Often, they're conscious and deliberate. This is the more visible and purposeful type of discrimination, as it includes name-calling and physical advances. An example is when someone calls a woman a bitch or crazy or a pussy. Another example, which is a very universal experience for women, is catcalling. The thing with catcalling is it can quickly transform from micro-assault to actual harmful and traumatizing assault. We just want to walk the street in peace. I have friends who recovered from top to bottom, yet men still catcalled them. So don't give me that BS that women should cover up to avoid being catcalled and harassed. The thing with micro-assaults is that we often think that women brush it off or that women should see it as a compliment, when in reality, they actually have very, very detrimental results on our mental health and well-being. The second type of microaggressions are micro-insults. These appear to be more subtle 
They often convey stereotypes and prejudiced notions unintentionally. Benevolent sexism falls under micro-insults. It's when men act like women are weak and need their protection. Then they come dashing like a knight in shining armor. If a man has questioned you, but can you handle it? Or are you sure you can do this? But didn't ask the same thing to your male peers. That is benevolent sexism. Remarks on how you look also falls under micro-insults. You should smile more. They say that all the time. You should smile more. Men don't ever hear this. Asking women to smile more just reinforces the idea that women should always be pleasant, happy, grateful, grateful to even be alive and stuff. It's it's crazy. Then there's calling women sweetheart or basically treating women like children as to impose that men are above you in the power scale. Wow, love that for us. <laughs> and lastly, there's micro-invalidations. This is when you are invalidated or dismissed for simply being a woman. A prime example of this is gaslighting. We've heard it all our lives. You're being dramatic or stop being so emotional as a way to deem our ideas inferior. It sucks because even women have a tendency to gaslight other women because of their own internalized misogyny. There are so many instances that I myself have been put in this situation. Often, it's perfectly natural to be emotional about what happened. But people still have the audacity to invalidate your feelings and to call you overdramatic and think that they're all the better for it. This also happens when men find themselves on the losing end of a debate. They say, stop shouting, you're just being emotional and biased. First of all, objectivity is a myth. Second of all, who said that I can't be emotional yet completely rational? Another micro-invalidation is mansplaining. Men are three times more likely to interrupt a woman than another man. We all know the lines that men say. Well, actually, I think what she's trying to say is, or they say, well, I think that (laughs) nobody wants to hear it. And oftentimes, they just repeat what you've already said. Full disclosure, I studied in an all-girls school up to high school. And I currently belong in a dominantly female college. Up until my second year in university, I was quite unaware of this phenomenon. Or if I've experienced it, it wasn't, you know, a super big deal. Then everything changed when I went to Singapore for a leadership conference. That was when I actually got to witness and experience mansplaining and how men assert themselves on such a large scale. Okay, story time. Story time. Once upon a time, in a land called Singapore, I found myself in a leadership conference of about 100 people of students from all over Asia. In that conference, we were divided into five groups of around 12 people. Each group had roughly an equal number of men and women. After listening to talks, we were each given an hour to discuss our ideas for our final presentation. In my group, we actually had a lot of more outspoken women. Still, a lot of us wouldn't dare to interrupt the men, obviously, because it's rude. But the men had the audacity to interrupt us. But, you know, of course, I didn't. I, I tried not to make a big deal out of it because I didn't think it was that big of a deal or I thought that maybe I was the only one who felt that way. But for our final presentation, we were supposed to pick five representatives for each group. 
we ended up picking two girls and three boys for our team. Then, during the day of the presentation, I watched other teams, and I had one very jarring observation. All of them, and I mean all of them, had more male representatives. There was even a team that had more girls in total, but picked five all-male representatives. I realized then that other groups must have had the same experience as ours did. That women were subjected to silence as men continued to assert their ideas. And surprisingly, one of the judges actually noticed the same thing I did and called us out for it. I really appreciated that I wasn't the only one who noticed this power imbalance. But it was just devastating how, even in an academic and highly competitive environment, women have to put up with these kinds of micro-invalidations. The end. (laughs) Okay, now that we've become more aware of these micro-assaults, micro-insults, micro-invalidations, the question becomes, how big of a deal are they? Are women just being too sensitive about it? How do microaggressions contribute to the larger problem looming over us? the patriarchy. Well, I've got some news for you. They actually contribute a whole lot. A lot, a lot. Think about it. Women have constantly been called out for being too dramatic when speaking up about these microaggressions, and this has manifested in the way we treat rape and harassment cases. You know what people often say? He was just being friendly, or then why were you dressed like that, or Why did you drink so much if you didn't want to do it with him? This culture of silencing women, even in the most seemingly mundane interruptions, pervades our daily lives a hundredfold. To this day, women still aren't paid equally as men. To this day, sexual harassment is prevalent in workplaces. To this day, women are expected to do all the household chores. To this day, women are expected to look beautiful, even when their appearances have nothing to do with their professions. To this day, women are told to tolerate men's disgusting sexual advances as not to jeopardize their careers. To this day, women are told that silence is better, rather than exposing your trauma for the world to ogle at. I hate what the world has forced women to become. We weren't born to please men. But the patriarchy continues to insist that a woman can only be valuable if she has a husband. That she can only be truly happy once she has a family of her own. That the best way to exist is to remain small. To close in on yourself as the world continues to grow larger. To curl up into the tightest ball only for men to stand tall above you. They say that staying invisible is the best way to survive. That men are meant to claim the spaces that were never ours to begin with. It sucks to be a woman in this day and age, and it has sucked for women for the longest time. But the thing is, I refuse to settle with the sentiment that that's just the way things are. Because it's simply not true. Even our Filipino ancestors would argue that they once lived in a matriarchal society. That there can be a world where equality isn't much of a question but the living, breathing fact that women can grow just as tall, if not taller than men. That women can reclaim the spaces that have always been theirs. The question now becomes, how? How can you make the world a better place for women to live in? Institutional and intersectional change must be implemented. 
It's about time that workplaces intervene and create humane policies that will no longer tolerate both micro and macro aggressions. It's about time that the government pushes forward laws that support reproductive health, divorce, and same-sex marriage. It's about time that the justice system fixes the way it approaches rape cases. It's about time that we stop using what the victim was wearing as a reason for sexual harassment cases to be dismissed. It's about time that we pay our undivided attention to women in the informal work sector, to women in the LGBTQ community, to single mothers, and to other oppressed sectors in society. As I've mentioned earlier, I am coming from a privileged position, yet I still experience gender discrimination. So just imagine how much worse it must be for those who are less privileged. Their voices need to be heard too. I agree that this kind of change, the one that starts from the ground up, will be difficult to achieve. And I know that it can feel disheartening, given the administration we are currently under. As cliche as it sounds, a lot of the change can start within ourselves too. It can. We need individual intervention in order to change the way we view women. As a woman, admittedly, I have internalized misogyny. I've always expected myself to be diminutive and succumbing. I've told myself that I can't make it in the media industry because I'm not beautiful enough. This kind of thinking is wrong and problematic in itself. I need to silence my own tendency to downplay the power that women hold. If that voice exists in you too, it's our responsibility to ensure that these thoughts won't affect our actions. We can go against the very notions that have been asserted on us. We don't have to listen to the patriarchy's persistence to pervade our own mindsets. And if you're a man, you should be ashamed of yourself. I'm kidding. Kinda. Anyway, in all seriousness, what I'm saying is that even if you tell yourself you're a decent man, that doesn't change the fact that your kind has oppressed women for the longest time. You locked out in the gene raffle by being born a man. By being acutely aware of the privilege you hold as a man, and by holding other men accountable for their actions, you can help in changing the narrative too. But of course, this kind of individual change can only do so much. Perhaps the best way to revolutionize the society from a patriarchal to a highly inclusive one is to get organized. Join organizations that push forward radical change and that aim to break institutional barriers. Donate to NGOs that plan to lobby and propose laws that could have a transformative impact on the oppressed sectors of society. Engage in online activism. Some people say that online activism only creates an echo chamber, but I'd like to believe otherwise. Speaking up will always create a ripple effect, no matter how big or small. It starts with you igniting a spark in yourself to change your mindset. Then this fire inside you can burn even brighter alongside others' voices. And only time can tell when the world will finally be engulfed in red and orange flames to be reborn into a society that finally sees women as the powerful force they are. Thank you for listening. Watch out next week for a lighter and fun discussion. Once again, I'm your host, Bea. This has been another episode of Mind Dump.